I really loved Hot Springs Island, but I also think the content was not the right fit for my players. Um, so between that and then starting to look into kind of like the old school revival or the OSR scene, what was really kind of going down into kind of the, the spirit of not writing plots, but writing kind of like settings or scenarios. So that's where Neverland came in. Hi, welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I'm here with Andrew Kolb. And Andrew is the designer, artist, and everything else that you can think of for the amazing game, Neverland. So Andrew, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I didn't realize you had a physical copy of the book, so that's great too. You really get to enjoy the kind of like foil, the gold foil on it. It, on is, the cover. it is, you can see the way the light catches it. It is a beautiful book. I highly recommend it, and I'll put links to where you can get it on uh, Amazon, and um, you can also get it through Drive-Through RPG in PDF format. So we'll be reviewing that uh, in a little bit. But uh, so the book Neverland by uh, Andrews McNeil Publishing, and it came out in late 2020. Yeah. Yep. I think uh, was it October? Yeah, I think early October. And then from there, you went on to receive two uh, any nominations. And I don't, uh, you know, it's very hard to find out if you won, but my vote was for you, but. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, I did not win, but I think the, the nice thing about the Ennies is I think the nomination is really kind of uh, the, the big the big thing to celebrate. Not that a win isn't great too, but I think uh, just kind of like being recognized for the artwork, because I think the nominees were for the cover and then the interior art. Um, so even just kind of as my first book to be nominated was uh, humbling <laughs> to say the least. And even though it was your first uh, actual RPG book, you actually have a broad experience with design and layout and uh, graphic design in general. And uh, one of the things I wanted to start with is just your, uh, your website, which showcases just a, a ton of the work that you do. And um, so you've got Neverland in the corner and you can see, I think some of your books, Edmund on Travels and uh, Les and Ronnie Step Out are among your more prominent ones. But You've got a, a mid-century modern vibe to a lot of your artwork, and uh, it really speaks to me, my my vintage, <laughs> at least. As a kid, I grew up kind of reading these books that were hand-me-downs from my older sisters and stuff like that. So how did you get um, that style? Well, I, like I, I went to school for, like, I, like yeah, yeah, after high school, I went to school for graphic design, because um, that was kind of like what I knew as far as if you want to kind of like uh, have a career in art that's kind of like a good stable uh, approach. Um, so after a number of years of, of both kind of like school and working in design agencies, I transitioned into illustration. Um, but I think the training in design and kind of like that um, study of kind of like typography and layout, I think really kind of, I don't know, shifted my focus towards kind of like clean design and kind of I think what the aesthetic of, of like mid-century design and illustration really kind of uh, kind of uh, was built upon. Um, so yeah, even like the this kind of book that we're looking at now, which was based off of the second of the Marvel Spider-Man movies, um, was like heavily influenced by the kind of like uh, M. Sasek, like This Is series, um, because there's like a lot of travel and because uh, my illustration tends to lean towards mid-century. So it's kind of like a nice marriage of that. Um, but as far as how I kind of like develop my style, I think it's just over years of, of drawing and kind of, I mean, like same as you, like I think 
reading the uh, kind of like little golden books from the kind of like seven, like sixties and seventies um, and watching kind of the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons and, and Looney Tunes uh, growing up, uh, just kind of like left an indelible impression on me. Um, so that's what I carry over into my work today. Yeah, and I've gotten to work with a lot of really cool people too. Like I think what's on the screen now is um, a like an early ages board game based off of the uh, it's a small world ride um, at Disney. So uh, getting to kind of like interpret all the different parts of the ride into these kind of like little segments. Uh, yeah, lots of fun. And when you started in just doing graphic design, um, <laughs> like did you graduate from a program and then start into the agency kind of work? Yeah, so I went through, so um, I'm from Kitchener, Ontario in Canada. Um, so there's a kind of a local college uh, that uh, has a really great um, design studio, or sorry, design program uh, that I went through. And then uh, they had a bridge program in Australia uh, and or were connected with Griffith University in Australia. So I um, ended up doing an extra year uh, abroad and then came back and started uh, working in design agencies and then also teaching a bit. Um, and that was for maybe eight or nine years. Uh, and at the same time, I was also doing illustration work like in the agencies uh, and also for myself. Um, but it wasn't until kind of like maybe seven or five or six uh, years into my career as a designer that I really recognized that what I was, what I loved most about the kind of like design projects that I was working on was when I got to illustrate. Uh, so that was where I started to kind of like try to spin as many plates as possible, keep like design going, keep my uh, kind of like teaching, part-time teaching going, and then also trying to branch into illustration. So doing personal projects and kind of like doing concept work, like I, as much of my site is uh, kind of like client work, there's also still lots of personal projects uh, on there uh, only because one, it's like a nice chance to kind of explore and push myself, um, but two, because it's, it's a nice way to kind of like show this sort of work I would like to do. Um, so if I, I mean, like what we're looking at now, really character driven, um, which was kind of like an, an October drawing challenge. Uh, Cause I always like kind of character based projects. So, you know, when you're working on a personal project if you want to do more maps or if you want to do more character stuff then you have to kind of like do that yourself to be able to show people this is what I would do if I was given the chance. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of like how I've uh, transitioned into illustration and how I continue to kind of like find work today. And how has your um, methodology evolved over time? Because I assume you probably started off on pencil and paper and you may, might still use that considerably, uh, but are you moving more and more into digital space now that the tools have become better? Yeah, I mean, I, I think almost all of my sketch work is still done by hand. Uh, I think because as, as many years as I've now been illustrating, I think I, because I was drawing for as long as I could hold a pencil, I still have far more uh, comfort with uh, pencil on paper. So most of my concept stuff is still done by hand. Um, and I know we haven't really kind of gone into the RPG stuff yet, but even my like book layouts uh, or when I'm like trying to figure out tables for kind of like an individual spread, I will still do that by hand um, because it's just quicker and I can like get an idea out and then move on to the next one just as quickly um, without any kind of uh, slowdown. Like I think I can, I can draw almost as quickly as I can think when I'm drawing by hand. Um, but once the concept stuff is done, then it's all digital and it has been for a number of years. Uh, when I was in school, I, I really started with kind of like vector because I think that's what I assumed you were supposed to use. Um, so I was using Adobe Illustrator. 
But uh, when I really transitioned into illustration more full time, then I got a an into no yeah an Intos like a, a Wacom Intos tablet, um, which was kind of like like a, not like an iPad where you're like looking at the screen where you're drawing. It was like a you draw here, but then it shows up up there, um, and it was great and it really kind of like unlocked uh, the like kind of texture and the kind of like natural flow that I was comfortable with on with pencil and paper, but in a digital space. Uh, and then once I really uh, saved up and had enough money to buy a Cintiq, which is kind of like the screen-based tablets, uh, then it kind of like, the, it, it was just uh, exponential as far as kind of like growth um, because it was just like drawing on a sketchbook, but now I could use the kind of like Photoshop and these brushes that I had. And, uh, and, and it just, uh, yeah, it really became here's what I have in my mind now in a digital space. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing work. I, uh, and when I reached out to you, I kind of, I threw up the idea, like, I love, oh, yeah. I collect this stuff and you mentioned the M Sasek books, which, uh, I'm a huge fan of. I have a bunch of them, uh, myself and I just, uh, he's a incredible designer. And mm -hmm. what was the book that you mentioned? Uh, Mr. Product. Was that the... Yeah, I don't know if I, yeah, it's right. Yeah, it's called Meet Mr. Product, uh, which is like a similar kind of like catalog of, uh, yeah, exactly, of um, like essentially advertising characters from kind of like the mid-century because um, it, it just, yes, yeah, it, it was just like so influential. Like I'm obviously a product of Saturday morning cartoons, which is as much the cartoons as it was the advertisements of cereals and games and toys and, and the like. Uh, so all of those kind of bright colors and flashy graphics have just like seeped into my brain and now has been, uh, become what I now put out into the world as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So you've got this really amazing career. You're doing all sorts of cool stuff. And then when did you discover role-playing games? And, and then a second part of the question is the, the evolution of like, okay, I'm playing a role-playing game and then I want to make a role-playing game. Okay. Yeah. So it was around the introduction of like, I didn't play uh, RPGs growing up. Like I think my gaming experience as a kid was uh, like video games um, and board games, I suppose. Um, but I, I didn't really even know about D and D until maybe kind of starting to get into high school, but even then still wasn't really kind of like in the, in the scene. Um, it wasn't until fifth edition when a friend of mine from high school, um, his cousin and uh, his roommate wanted to play and they kind of like had a small group, but they needed another. So I said, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and obviously he knew that I play video games. So there's probably going to be like some overlap in interest. Uh, so we went out and I hadn't made a character. I didn't know anything about what I was getting into it, except for kind of like the vague concepts of uh, tabletop role playing. Um, but from that first night, I was hooked. Like the he he ran the, the this cousin ran the kind of like Lost Minds of Fandelver. Um, so the, just kind of like the out of the box fifth edition uh, adventure, and was hooked. Like I we like finished that starter adventure. We uh, my friend then took over as DM and then ran a, a, a years long campaign. Um, I was then next in line to run the adventure, but the kind of like group disbanded as kind of happens over the years. But because I still loved it, because I really wanted to keep that uh, kind of as part of my life, that was where I got into running games for friends and family who had never played before. So I was really pretty quick. Well, actually, no, I was like playing for a couple of years, but pretty quickly transitioned from player to DM. Um, and 
really then dug into understanding like kind of how to run a role-playing game and then also researching how to kind of best get new players into it. Um, Cause I, I was really just thrown into the deep end, which was fine. Cause I also had like a history of like a, a video games. So I kind of like had the vague ideas of like, I don't know, RPGs in general. Uh, but when I'm running it for kind of like friends who aren't really in that scene or family who are, are doing this to kind of humor me, that was where I wanted to find adventures or find like characters that really helped um, or like kind of like uh, were easy to kind of like get into it without kind of like feeling like, oh, I don't, I don't know all the lore and I don't know all these rules. Um, so that was where I started to kind of like write some of my own adventures um, or work with existing adventures and really kind of like tweak them to not simplify, but to make it more palatable for a, um, for a newcomer or for at least like the players that I was playing with. Um, and then I guess that over years of kind of like reworking uh, and kind of like kit bashing other people's adventures uh, was like, I think I could, I think I could write something. Um, and um, had played or had uh, read through um, Hot Springs Island, which is a, uh, like a hex crawl and very, it's not specifically for fifth edition, but it's, it's kind of just like a, a, an open world setting that really clicked for me as far as, oh, the reason why I haven't been kind of like working with these adventures is because it's like a single plot and I have to remember all these things and it's hard uh, for me at least. But uh, with Hot Springs Island really was like, oh, right. This is a like a setting and things are happening more like a chessboard as opposed to a video game with like scripted events. Um, and you can respond as the DM to how the players play. So all these kind of like big, bad, evil people have plans, but if, if the characters don't do anything, then this plan happens, which then changes this and so on. So it kind of like becomes a Rube Goldberg machine. Um, and this is my long way around of getting to how I got into Neverland, which like, I really loved Hot Springs Islands, but I also think the content was not the right fit for my players. Um, so between that and then starting to look into kind of like the old school revival or the OSR scene, what was really kind of going down into kind of the the spirit of not writing plots but writing kind of like settings or scenarios so that's where Neverland came in was kind of this merger of oh this is the sort of setting I want as far as kind of like open world and uh, not driven by a single plot and then also a number of, of players who wanted to play and liked uh, getting together and that kind of like adventure but uh, the tone of the other games that I was reading wasn't the right fit. So, because, and as you can see through my art, I'm like pretty lighthearted and jovial and kind of like light bright colors. Uh, so I wanted something that wasn't like uh, Candyland, but something that was uh, at the start, something a bit like lighter. Um, so that's where, and I've always loved Neverland as a, as a, well, like the Peter Pan stories. Um, so thought of that as an island and thought of, I mean, like, you know, pirates, you know, mermaids, like if you know the story of never of, of Peter Pan, then you kind of already know some of the, the big players. Um, so for my like friends and family who wanted to play, but maybe didn't know the lore of like um, Faerun or, or the kind of like, to, like the Wizards of the Coast settings did know what to expect from pirates and, and the Lost Boys and all these kind of like the different factions. So that was, that's where it all came about. I don't know if that even answers your question. That's just kind of like my <laughs> life story. Uh, but 
that was that was kind of the start of it that's how i kind of got into rpgs and when uh when you were exploring like okay i'm gonna actually design one myself and you chose neverland as the setting did you start to do more research into it and start to um like kind of spitball like what would that look like as far as the characters the cast as you as you put them in the book and then how did you um the process of going what goes in the book what's the story and like how long did you kind of ruminate over that oh yeah okay so i think for writing because i think the other thing to keep in mind is this was uh pitched and published like a like a traditional like you would like a like a storybook because i have like history in in uh kind of like the publishing industry with picture books then essentially i went to my agent because i have like a literary agent who like works like with me for like on my picture books went to her and said this is my idea and she's like I don't know what this is, but, uh, and then we started talking about it uh, and she was really great and also very supportive, which I so appreciate because I think it has really kind of like blossomed in the kind of like subsequent years since then. Um, so I think, well, yeah, she's she's far more versed in D&D now uh, than she ever was before. Um, but that also changes the kind of like the timeline. So I guess leading up to the point where we were like pitching the book, which was like, I had to have some layout done. I had to have the whole thing written uh, and I had to have some sample artwork. Um, that lead up was probably a good year of me reading through the books again and making notes and then uh, coming up with random ideas of like things I wanted in the book, like enemies that learned over time or things like that. And then really kind of like bringing it all together. Um, so it probably took about a year of like writing, uh, and then as far as layout, because much like picture, picture books or like with any, uh, book pitch, you don't need to have the entire book done, or you really shouldn't because then a publisher knows that you can, uh, that you're willing to change it or you're willing to kind of like edit it. Uh, so with the pitch, I had like a single layout of the, of this, of like each hex. Um, so a single spread and then another spread of kind of like rules within the world, which had some artwork. Uh, and then a spread of like just random tables. And that was it. Uh, like I had some, so maybe three or four drawings between the, between the sample artwork. I did have the whole map sketched out, but that changed. Um, and, and that process maybe took another uh, month or two. Uh, so probably about a year of writing and then about a month or so of kind of like package prep. Um, which I then, with my agent, pitched to publishers. And that's how we found uh, Andrews McMeal. Um, and that's where kind of like Neverland really took off. Uh, and then it was like so much work after that. I, as much as I do picture books and I, I know books, these RPG books, because I do them all myself, like the cartography, the writing, the layout, uh, it takes so long. And I love them, but it, it's just such a longer process than, than let's say, a picture book. So, yeah, that's that's the general timeline. And so now I'm wondering about your schedule, because obviously just from your website, you do a lot of output of other designs and illustrations. And where did you find the time to actually write the book? Like it was it evenings, weekends, like how, how much of a time commitment was it? Well, so the thing is, is that, so I'm like completely freelance as like a, as an illustrator. Um, so basically what it would be is like, yes, evenings and weekends, uh, but it'd also be, I don't know if I, if I have client work that takes six hours of the day, then, you know, those extra kind of like 30 minutes here or an hour there, I would do a little bit more, or I would like write up another stat block for a monster. Like the nice thing about kind of once I had the kind of 
big picture stuff done is it's all these little bits that really kind of like take a lot of time, but um, don't need a lot of kind of like momentum to get into it. Like I can, I can really like take 15 minutes if I'm, if I'm done a project early and I, I've got a half hour before lunch, I can take 15 minutes to write another stat block or write another character description or two or three and then take a break. So it really was just kind of like fitting it in and just like any gaps in my schedule would be filled in with Neverland for months. Um, and that was kind of how it went. And then if there was like a window of time where like a project ended um, at the end of the month and there was a week before the next project started, then that whole time was just me working on, on Neverland. Um, in the same way, it was essentially how I approached my like personal work. Um, so uh, like, not that the personal work ever pushed client work out of the way, but it always just like, it fit in. Like I always just like made it, made it fit. Um, now, once it got picked up, like once the publisher said, okay, here's our timeline, then it became like a formal project that like, if a client came to me and said, can you work on, on something in this month? If I was dedicated to Neverland, like that, that took over. Cause now it was less a personal project and more a, like I have a deadline, I have a budget uh, or like I have, like I'm getting paid for this. Um, and that's, that was the, like the shift. Um, but yeah, lots of evenings and weekends, lots of just kind of like making notes before I go to sleep of something like, oh, I wanted Hook to, to look like this, or this is how I want the illustration to do. And then just like a small doodle and then falling asleep. So it's just like, it's constant. For the months leading up to the book, it's just not all I think about, but pretty much all I think about. And Andrews McMeal, they've gotten into uh, tabletop role-playing games. Uh, Zweihander is the one that kind of jumps out as their, their big one. And you worked <laughs> with uh, Daniel uh, King, uh, from the uh or sorry not daniel king daniel fox uh from yep. my hander and how was that relationship and what kind of team did uh you have at your disposal uh for developing the book they they've been really great like i think um working with them has been uh like a pretty smooth process like i think they have a great balance or i think we found a good balance or at least I, like i'm happy with uh me coming to them when i have questions of like is this balanced or is how would you approach this mechanic? And then we talk about it. Um, but if I don't come to them with those questions, then they completely trust me that I'm like, they're not going over each stat block and going, this character is too powerful or, or not powerful enough. Um, they uh, really are looking at it as like a big picture stuff and going, okay, is, does this have enough, uh, um, does this have enough story to balance out the monsters? Um, but it's all very high level. It's it's not, they, they absolutely do not micromanage, uh, which is like good for me. Like that's what I really appreciate um, because then whenever we kind of get stuck on something or go, I think, I think we need more maps to balance out the kind of like adventure, uh, then they're not saying do a map for this location. They're just saying, I think if we have a few more maps, then it will feel like it'll, it'll feel balanced. Um, so yeah, very high level uh, feedback, um, but can also really kind of get into the weeds with me when I have a specific question. Um, so I think that's the, the general approach. And, and Daniel's brought a lot of kind of great insight from his own experience, both with like marketing a book and also just like kind of creating, like, I mean, this one-handed books are, insane like as much as I think it's a lot of work for what I do for my Neverland book um there's so, there's so much more robust so he has so much experience that yeah has has really kind of like cascaded down into my work so uh yeah the relationship has been great 
it, and it I don't just always, say that because they may be listening. I promise I, I really am enjoying <laughs> working with them. And was there ever a thought of designing your own mechanics or were you always like, no, I'm just going to make it a 5e product or compatible? Yeah, I think, I think what it is, is um, the book, I'm, the majority of the book kind of like could work with any uh, system because it is mostly setting driven. Now, the, like the, the monsters or the kind of like the, the stat blocks for characters do lean more towards fifth edition. Um, but I would say that I think like what, how I've pared down some of the stats and that make it a bit more streamlined. So not that that's my own mechanics, but I also really kind of like like uh, playing in uh, the fifth edition system. So um, I'm happy to kind of like work towards that. Uh, as far as designing my own mechanics, there are like some small parts in the book. Like there's one for a chase mechanic um, that works really well, kind of like in person that I like. Um, and in Oz, I've introduced a new chase mechanic uh, because the one in Neverland doesn't work as well online, I found, because uh, it's more like rock, paper, scissors based. Um, which is great in person, but if there's a lag on the video stream, it doesn't, it just kind of breaks down. So um, I like designing small mechanics to kind of like supplement things that happen in your games. But as far as making a whole new system, that's not, that's, I think just like, that's not my interest. Like I really like kind of like the building worlds um, as opposed to the kind of uh, like mechanical stuff. Cool. And let's, I'm going to dive right into uh, to showcasing your great work here. Oh, great. So we've got a beautiful cover, and that was uh, one of the any nominations was uh, Best Art for the cover. So congratulations on that. And, Thanks. And I know uh, we'll cover it a little bit later. I know you had different uh, options for the front cover and everything um, that you were considering. And mm -hmm. throughout the, like, the whole iteration process, it maybe as you see things and kind of pop up, like the logo itself, you also cover a little bit in your design process, we'll, we'll, which we'll get into. But if anything pops out to you as I kind of come through here is interesting that you go, you know, this is a, like a lesson that you can pass along to some of the designers. Like even the three, oh, columns, sure. three column choices for uh, throughout most of the book. Um, yeah, I think ever... I, I, I stick to a pretty strict grid. And this is also where my kind of like history and design comes in. Like I, I really kind of tried to streamline font choices uh, or number of fonts and uh, or typefaces and and uh, kind of like working with the columns um, just because I for for me the book isn't about like I think there are some RPG books that the design of it is part of the appeal like it's part of the fun of a, of someone who's going to run the game looking through the book which I mean it, it's not that that isn't part of this uh, but I think what I want out of a book is clear communication and like ease of use. Um, so I think one of my driving forces was really looking at, okay, what are the things that I, when I'm running my early games, what are the things that I need to know off the top of my head? And then I'd make notes of it. Or like, this is a good example, like the, the kind of a clock system. Um, I added more information as I was playtesting because I recognized, oh, this is something that I need to know pretty much on the fly. Uh, and I don't have, like I've written it down somewhere, but I don't have it uh, on hand. Um, so one good example is uh, Neverland is on a pretty kind of like, not strict, but it runs on both a 24 hour cycle and a like 24 day cycle. Um, so on that graph on the bottom right, where you're seeing the moon phases, 
Um, I also then added the kind of note about where the crocodile rests um, because it changes throughout the month. Um, and that was something that I didn't realize I needed to have until I started to play test and go, oh yes, my, my players are entering this hex. Sometimes the croc is here, sometimes it's not. Is it here? And then I, I would like go to my notes and find out, yes, it is. So then that changes the encounter. Um, but uh, knowing that that took me time then meant I, I wanted that to be quicker for someone else running the game. Because if I, who have created this world, don't immediately know that information, then I can't expect someone who's never played it before to just have that off the top of their head. So that was where that information or that kind of like clock graphic with kind of like where the, the crocodile moves throughout the day, things like that were just like necessary and, uh, and things that I wanted to know quickly offhand. So that was where I, um, decided, oh, this is a graphic that I need to make. So that way you can easily reference it. Uh, so yeah. And just kind of like scrolling back up, like obviously the, the, the 24 hours are pretty straightforward, but right in the middle where it shows where the crocodile is, whether or not it's patrolling or sunning or resting, I think was information that I, as a, as a, as a GM or DM needed to know. So I figured that I think is important for others to others to have as well. And where did the idea for the chime that everybody can hear across the island come? Oh, so part of the, actually, I don't know if the book is visible from here. Uh, so uh, part of the research for this was really getting into kind of like the lore of fairies um, because they kind of like play a, like not, maybe not prominent, but because they're a big part of, of Neverland, I really wanted to expand upon that. And because I think the books get into Neverland, but they don't really kind of like flesh it out in a, a robust enough way to make it a full setting for an adventure. So that was where I started to kind of get into more, more lore about some of the other factions. Um, so stars play a bigger role because of the kind of like second star to the right. Um, the, the fairies play a bigger role. Um, and the chime hours came out of that research for uh, or about fairies um, because that was kind of like one of the kind of like not fables. Uh, yeah, just like maybe fairy, fairy tales. Uh, so all of these things kind of were built off of that. Um, and actually, I, I will also mention this is another good one. Right at the start, uh, something that I found in, I think everything that I did in Neverland was a response to reading other people's adventures and kind of like going, oh, what do I need? Uh, or what, what is this missing? What I find for a lot of adventures is it'll just like kind of get right into lore or this kind of like, like mini novel, which is great but it isn't it, it, it like reading that novel I don't know what information is important like when you're reading a book by the time you get to the end of the book you're like oh I now have this full story but I think I I what I like is I would go through and highlight and then find out later oh this part isn't actually relevant to the adventure it's a like good backstory but it's not relevant to the adventure so what I started off with in this book is just like a brief overview of like who are your main characters what are their wants and needs and kind of like what's said, well, that's the title what's going on um, because then I think it primes you for the rest of the book to go right I remember the spiders are important because of this and that and this is how I can play them into this idea that I have with this detail so I think that's maybe another thing uh, as a takeaway obviously this is all my personal bias but I think really kind of giving a high level overview of the adventure right at the start really helps someone who is reading it to understand what they need to do. So uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of my tip. 
And it is, I mean, it's like two pages and you kind of get the sense of the world going on and you go, don't go into too much detail, a paragraph each essentially for each category of the, uh, um, what is happening in the world. And it's just an, a brief, like a teaser to get people excited by it. Like when I was reading through it, I went, oh, that's interesting. Like you talk about Peter Pan shadow, uh, shadow that's roaming about and, and the, the Elfame world and the mermaids and like just it evokes so much within two pages and you go, okay, I, I need to dig in. <laughs> great. That's great. That's even better. That's, that's ideal. I didn't even think of it as like a, as a, like a, like a, like a lead in or as a, like an amuse bouche, but that's great. And even, you know, the, all the travel shortcuts and within four or five pages, people know what to expect of the world. So I, I thought that was great. And, and how did you um, decide that it was going to be like post post most stories as far as like the, the kids growing up like the movie hook you know peter pan is older and and he comes back and you know he he visits the world but how did you decide that the world was going to be like set in a future state and in with the kids the darling kids i think because uh, so i think hook was a big influence um not that i exactly wanted to be a recreation of hook uh but I, what i loved was For good reason <laughs> Well, I think what it was, was I, I, I felt like the people playing the game have probably already or already aware of the uh, like story of Peter Pan. So I didn't want there to be an element of like discovery, because uh, I think that it was a big theme of this book uh, and of the uh, kind of the adventure. Um, so I found by still having some secrets or kind of like going forward in time still allowed there to be something new for players to experience or to find out. Um, and because I think the themes of the original book being around like time and aging, I think it's, it was just like a natural fit. Um, but yes, I tend to prefer stories that are set uh, or playing in adventures that are set after the originals or the original kind of like source, uh, the source material. Well, I mean, I thought the concept of Hook was really good. Maybe the execution. <laughs> And actually, I haven't revisited it in my adulthood. I actually don't know if I would still, I mean, I still kind of like have a love for it, but I don't, I don't, I haven't gone back to it. It's just, it's encased in amber. And uh, so one of the, so here's a design nerd question here. The, these illustrations that I'm looking at here, they're primarily black and white, but then you popped in green color and that's just due to the printing process of having like a green plate. No, it wasn't even, it wasn't even that it was uh, because like it is still technically a, a four color pr uh, print or process. Um, but the inspiration being kind of like the mid century picture books and uh, kind of like that era of book design, I wanted to kind of like streamline the color palette. Uh, so that way it was kind of like indicative or kind of like had that same, like kind of same spirit. Uh, so that was where kind of each chapter really only uses one or two colors. Um, so, and also helped differentiate the chapters too, like by having the world be in green, black, and white, and then the cast be in red, black, and white. Um, you could quickly flip through and, and kind of like have a visual reminder. Uh, like I also found, and you can kind of see on the PDF, but the tabs on the side um, are also easy or helpful for kind of like quickly flipping through to a chapter, uh, it, like with the physical book. Um, so also color coding, it helps to, uh, to simplify it. Uh, when you're kind of like uh, like looking for something like oh I need to find a, a cast uh, a cast photo or a cast like uh, stat block and some of the illustrations like 
are very much in the, your typical style, but then some of the other ones are like a little bit um, more fantastical, if I could say that, like more sure. traditional D&D, what you might find. And how did you kind of balance it all out as far as that setting the overall tone of it? Yeah, the like the 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 cast photos are probably the ones that deviate the most from a style that I'm I'm not comfortable with, but like most familiar with. Um, and that was because I found my more stylized approach. I I don't think served the characters as well. Like I I wanted you to be able to uh, as a DM hold up the book, show something to the players, and then they'd pretty quickly get a sense of what what it is that they're looking at. Um, without thinking, oh, it's cute. Like, I think the other thing is, is if you're playing D&D, you might be fighting this thing. So it, it, I, I still want there to be at least some element of, of danger or like feel like, oh, this thing might actually still be intimidating and could hurt us. Um, and if I was illustrating too much like a children's book, I, I think some of that danger might get lost. So that is where the kind of cast illustrations went more towards a kind of realistic, um, uh, a semi-realistic or, or like a stylized realism. Uh, as opposed to the like the first chapter and the kind of like last chapter with the tables, um, I have more stylized, more kind of like mid-century picture book illustrations. And how fun was it to come up with the monsters? Oh, my one of my favorite parts. Like I think uh, just kind of coming up with what is the thing that this? Because I think the other thing about creature design is I wanted to have each creature have something special about them. So that way when you're playing them or if you're only gonna run them once, this is the cool thing that they get to do and, uh, and is hopefully gonna be memorable for the players playing against them. Um, so that way, yeah, if they, only see, if they only see one of the green teeth once, then that's it. Uh, and they do their cool thing or that's the kind of creepy thing that they do. And then, and then you find another monster. So yeah, every, everyone I tried to have something different beyond just kind of like they attack with this sort of weapon and this is their armor. Um, some are simplified like that, but even the more complex or even the simpler ones, I still try to uh, imbue with some sort of character, even in the stat block. Cause I also think you can get a lot of character out of how they fight uh, as well, or as much as kind of the outside of combat stuff. So uh, I think if you can get some storytelling into their stat blocks, then that's, I think, a, a, a stronger monster design. And I love the great white bird. And uh, did, did you ever see, what inspired that? Because like, for me, I went, that's like, if it was not in a book, I don't know uh, the Neverland story, if any of this ended up being monsters. But that that one in itself made me go, wow, this is like, if Neverland was being written today, like it's such a perfect fit. Oh, thanks. Yeah, the 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 Great White Bird was, I think, inspired by. Well, I forget the original name now, but like, there's a Never Bird, um, and I it's one of the it's a bird that teaches Peter to fly. If I now I'm now I'm wondering if I remember it correctly, but essentially that I think because I've also made and th there are some going to be some mild spoilers for for neverland in here because i made the crocodile this big a massive almost like a like a godzilla type sized uh, creature i wanted there to be other creatures on the island that could have at least kind of like compete with it or um keep it in check like that there'd be a relationship not that the croc was the kind of like only thing um so having this kind of giant uh, almost prehistoric like bird uh, just like felt right. Uh, and it's also kind of like playing into what we were talking about with discovery, like 
you may know about the crocodile and the and the pirates and the mermaids but then when this giant bird is swooping overhead or lands and and just kind of like attacks a pirate ship uh, then then that's something new that oh yeah we were expecting pirates we weren't expecting to be shooting cannons at uh, cannonballs at this giant bird uh, that uh, hopefully it's still memorable beyond just kind of like a, oh I remember that I want there to be some nostalgia but I also want there to be some kind of like forward discovery as well and then we have on our screen Hook and the Pirates. And the evolution of Hook and the Pirates was, I thought, neat. I don't know if it's a, another spoiler, but by now, you know, I think a lot of people have probably oh, sure. gone through your books. But I thought it was a really interesting concept, the way you took what could have been just like, okay, there's pirates, and kind of, uh, once again, just twisted it just enough for uh, it to be an exploration. Yeah, and I'll, I'll happily reveal everything. So, um with the pirates, uh, there are a couple of influences. So I said, uh, let's let's go back into a couple of things. One, falling stars are pretty prominent resources on the island because they're kind of like core arcane like magic. Um, but then how how is the island using this? Um, and and kind of like where can I like slot it in in interesting ways? Um, so with the pirates, they are kind of like cursed undead think kind of like Pirates of the Caribbean, which was like a big influence on kind of like how I interpreted these pirates. Um, so they're kind of like, they're skeletons by day um, and immobile. And then at night they come back to life. So not exactly like the original kind of like Pirates of the Caribbean curse, but I think because of, of that movie, I think kind of, you can kind of see the, the kind of like parallels. Um, but uh, part of that decision was um, because I didn't want all of the enemies on the, or all of the kind of factions on the island to simply be kind of like humans. Like I wanted there to be some variety. The mermaids are obviously not human, but the lost boys are still gonna be like children and humans. Um, so with the pirates kind of having this undead component, then they could die and come back, or you could have like a, a cleric uh, really kind of like, hate the pirates not because they're pirates, but because they're kind of like this uh, kind of like, uh, atrocity. Um, so again, you're expecting pirates, but you may not be expecting them to be uh, kind of like skeletons by day and then uh, these kind of like undead at night. So uh, that is that was kind of the inspiration for that. Oh, and the, the thing with Hook is that he uh, has like one of those kind of fallen stars that he uses to kind of like fight off the curse or at least kind of minimize it that he can still kind of like roam around during the day. Um, which then also means he wants more stars, which if your characters are looking for stars, then there's going to be conflict there. The whole goal was to have everything kind of like loosely tied together. And I know we're going to get to kind of like the sketchbook at the end, but um, there was like a map that I had drawn early on with all the different factions and kind of like essentially just like a spider web of, uh, or network of relationships of how are the pirates getting along with the mermaids and why? And why are they against the, the Lost Boys? Because uh, I think those social interactions become more interesting to interact with as a player. Like if you upset one group, does that upset another group or does that make them happy? Like how does that, how does that work? Kind of playing into the social component of it. And as we've been scrolling through this, one of the things that I just absolutely love about your uh, layout design is even though you have that, the structure of the three columns, you play with it with the graphics and in being able to kind of break it up because I see so many books that are just three columns, three columns, three columns. And I just love the fact that you kind of can take the illustrations and break it up, which I suspect one of the reasons why you see the strict three column structure is the designer and the artists are not kind of working 
as the same person in your case. Right. Yes. And that's exactly the kind of like the novelty or the kind of like benefit of doing everything is um, essentially my process for a page is uh, if we want to pause on even going down to the, the next page with the or the show the pirates works too. Um, it doesn't matter because it's all the same, but I will lay out the type first um, because that is kind of like the crucial component. Like I need to, I need to have this text. I need to have their stat blocks. Um, but I don't always arrange it immediately. So once laying it out, um, then I will start to, I'll export it. And sorry, I'm, I'm laying it out in InDesign. Uh, so I've written it up in Word and then I format it and lay it out in InDesign. And then I'll export it as like a low res JPEG, uh, which I then bring into my, like into Photoshop, my like drawing software. So that way I can do rough sketches um, and get a sense of, okay, I have all of these kind of like individual illustrations that are just one column. I need something to break up the flow. Like I will go through the entire chapter or like all of the characters and just do very rough sketches. So that way I can then look at them and kind of like see the general rhythm from page to page. So that way it's not always tiny, tiny illustrations. And then the next page is tiny illustrations. And then the next page is tiny illustrations. If that's the case, then I try to maybe move a stat block over or I try to um, combine illustrations. Like there are some pages where two characters are interacting with each other. And that's because I want there to be variety of size and shape of illustration as well. Um, so I go through that whole process doing very loose illustrations and then I will go back and do final artwork. And sometimes I will forget something, like forget to include something from the text so then I can go back and edit it. Or if I don't have enough room for the illustration, then I look at the text and go, can I, can I edit this or shorten it to make room for the drawing or vice versa? I only need the illustration to take up the space. Is there something more I can add to the text to fill up the rest of it? Like it's always kind of like a back and forth tug of war between the illustration and the text um, that I have the luxury of doing because I'm doing the whole thing. When uh, someone is writing it and they're giving the, the, the layout off to an illustrator after, I can appreciate that it's very different for an illustrator to say, oh, this is my limited space. I'm just gonna do this single column or there's like, a, this is the, the space for this drawing. Um, but that's, uh, that's just a different dynamic. So yeah, very, very lucky to, as much as I talk about how much work it is, the end result is something that I am really proud of. And, you know, there's just a handful, I would say, of people that kind of have your skill set that not only do you write, you illustrate, and you do the layout. Um, it's like in uh, I, the triple threat in uh, Hollywood. <laughs> in right? acting, like, you yeah. Know, I, can, I can act, I can sing, and I can dance. And and you do kind of do it all, and it, it really shows through in the design as far as it seems so cohesive and uh, put together that it's uh in other products and no slight on other designers but uh as you mentioned like when you're writing something and then you just hand it off to the designer or vice versa where like you're trying to work your text around an art piece you just don't have that flexibility yeah and maybe that's something that i if i can offer a recommendation or if 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 there's the flexibility for a writer or for someone who's doing the layout to give the full page to the illustrator. And if the, if, and obviously this depends on the kind of like the contract and the relationship. Um, but I think the more information you can give to your collaborators, the better. Uh, like if, if you're just telling your illustrator, I need an illustration that's this size by this size, then that's one thing. But if you're giving them the full page and saying, uh, this is the illustration size we have, but maybe it could bleed over into this or, 
or if you wanted to interact with the text in some way, then that's very different. Like I, I try to also work my illustrations to complement the page. Like it's not like everything is pointing in towards the gutter. Like I try to have the character illustrations point towards their own stat blocks or interact with their own stat blocks in a, in a natural way. Um, but I can do that because I have the, I can see the big picture. Uh, so to anybody who's writing or doing the layout, uh, or even to the illustrators who are interacting or working on a book. If you can ask those questions and if you're comfortable or if the dynamic is right, uh, why not? Why not say, can I see the whole page so I can like make sure that the illustration works with the full layout? Like I think it just, it, it ends up producing better work. Um, and I have that luxury because I'm doing it all, but I think even in collaborative spaces, you can still have uh, that level of interaction as long as everyone's kind of working together. And I just wanted to touch on, uh, and I think in the OSR scene, you've gotten a lot of uh, kudos because you made it a hex crawl, essentially. Of the oh, island. great. And it's a lot of replayability because there's always something different that's happening within each hex all the time. So even though the island might be, you know, small, there's always something new between the different factions and different encounters. And you, you had mentioned, like, that was something that you wanted to do is like a sandbox setting. And then you go into so much detail. How how much effort was it to make all these like unique tables for each hex? <laughs> That's a lot oh, of it took a, it took it took a lot of time because uh, well, and this is where also having that kind of like and still going into sketches helps because I had an illustration of the island and said this is where the pirates spend their time. This is how they're expanding. Then I would essentially just kind of go through and say, okay, where are the pirates going to show up? And then plotting them in on those individual tables and just writing it by hand. Actually, no, at that point, I may have been doing it into like a Word doc, um, but essentially just kind of going through and saying, okay, where would the where would the golden catfish appear? Okay, well, it's only going to appear on the coasts where there's water and where the rivers are. So then going through and finding all those hexes and then putting it in and then just like filling in the gaps after. Um, so like there are some areas of the island where you'll only like some creatures will only appear in like one hex um, just based on them only living in the swamp or only living in the mountains um, but others are pretty common and I think the the time it took to kind of like balance that um, was long but also felt very kind of like I knew that it was a good investment because at the end of the day what I now have and and I mean I'm, I'm slightly privileged in that I wrote the book but like when I run this game I can roll an encounter at the table and it feels natural. Like it doesn't feel like, oh, this is a random encounter. It feels like, oh, this was meant to happen here. Or like, I meant to see this creature here. And in play, what happens is, um, let's say they're on the rope bridges and then they're walking across the bridge and they see a water horse. Uh, and then the water horse doesn't interact with them, but they're like, they can see it down on the water and then they move on and they, and they live their lives three or four sessions later when a gnome tells them that they need the hair from a water horse to be able to kind of like concoct this potion then the group goes oh where did we see them and then go back and try to find it and it and it feels natural and specific and not like oh i was meant to see it there or like it was specifically for the story it was just a random encounter that like is natural to the island um and that is the result of me kind of like really spending a lot of time to go oh, what makes sense here um, and I, I, it's, it's working so far. Uh, if anybody else is playing with it and, and finds otherwise, I would love feedback for future design. But yeah, that's that's the general approach. And then you went so far as to actually make a, a Chartopia collection where you made 
each hex have its own little um, chart that you can just roll and see what's going to happen. Yep. And that was uh, um, something that I really loved about Hot Springs Island that they had done was, uh, I, and I didn't really even know about Chartopia until uh, picking up um, until picking up that book, but uh, it just makes it so much easier, especially with kind of playing online now. Um, and I promise it's not always going to be no encounter, but uh, so uh, yeah, playing online and being able to roll encounters um, at random makes it so much easier. Like I may have stuff plotted, but if they're going to go out into the jungle, what are they going to run into? Um, and that gives you a, a lot of variety. Um, and I think part of the loveliness of, uh, or what's lovely about random tables is that it might create uh, adventures or content or, or interactions that you may not have come up with. Like, even though I've come up with all of these uh, random tables in play, it becomes very different where I was like, oh, I wasn't planning on the characters meeting Hook at this point, but he's here, like I've rolled Hook. So I, I'm gonna have him introduce himself and then thinking, what is he doing here? And what, what does he want? Um, so it, it, as much as I want it to be discovery for the players, I think having random tables also makes it a great element of discovery for the GM as well. Like for the DM to go like, oh, I had this planned, but because they've gone off in another direction, I have to randomly roll something now. And then you get to find out together what, what they're gonna interact with. And maybe it's gonna be a monster that's way too difficult for them. And then you as the DM have to decide, how do I telegraph this? How do I make sure that they know that they're in danger? Uh, and then kind of going from there. And it probably makes you as a GM, it's a little bit more entertaining because you actually don't quite know what's going to happen either. And you're kind of on the fly and, and engaging in the fun. Yeah. And I've run a couple of different groups in Neverland. Uh, and what I love is even if I tend to start them off with the same quest and on the same hex, every, every response has been different about how they go about finding fallen stars, about where they go first whether or not they like some groups will really kind of like take to the pirates and kind of like try to kind of get on their side. Some will immediately kind of like respond negatively. Like it's, it's always different. And that's, I think part of the fun of running it too, is just seeing how different every interaction on the Island is. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been eye-opening even just like on a social level of what is, what does this group do with the same pieces on the board compared to this group? So yeah, a lot of fun. And Elfame, I thought that was brilliant to kind of bring that um, extra, I guess, dimensional plane <laughs> into it. And like, it's, uh, it opens up the island into a bigger possibility. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of, you know, they could spend their entire time on Neverland and never find this or never engage with it. And that'd be totally fine. Um, but knowing that there's kind of like, oh, this island is so big. And now there's like a whole other realm. Just I, I think discovery was kind of the, my main spirit or driving force of, of Neverland and, and trying to in, uh, add that as much as possible. Um, like the, the kind of old Legend of Zelda games were a big influence on this uh, because there were so many secrets that weren't telegraphed, you know, like kind of like lighting this bush on fire with the candle. But it's like there's no, there's no sign that you're supposed to do that. Like I love, I loved that. Kind of having to talk to friends or or reading through stuff, so uh, that was kind of like the, the the driving force. So finding a whole other realm, oh, just like top tier top tier discovery for me. So I I wanted to share it as much as I could. And if other uh, game designers aren't jealous, 
already by our conversation and all the great work that you've done. <laughs> now we get into the maps and the cartography, which is you're not only a triple threat, you're a quadruple threat. And uh, and how very, fun. Very kind. These... The, the maps are a stress, a stress for me. Sorry, continue. Well, I was just going to say, I, I, thought, I thought they'd be fun, but that you're saying they're a stress. Oh yeah, I'm I, because I'm more comfortable with like character design that and that and my like spatial awareness is not as strong as I think some uh, game designers or game uh, like game masters are. Um, so I really maps are trickier for me and like in actual play when I'm at the table, my maps are always very basic because uh, I don't I don't want to spend a lot of time building that part of it. Like I think the setting is more in the mind. Um, so really like locking down a location in the illustration. Uh, yeah, it was stressful for me. I mean, like I'm happy with the results and I think it, it all works out. And I, I like, I can draw a setting, but where I would say the cast illustrations, I would maybe get like a page done in a day. I would get like a single map done in the day. Like it was just like a much slower process because I'm thinking more about setting or I have more to like, it's more of a challenge. Um, but I mean like that, it, it's all worth it in the end. Like I, I've used all these maps and, and players understand what's going on. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun, but it's also a challenge. Well, like I said, I just, if it, if it wasn't enough already, like just each one of these maps is so evocative. You could, as a, as a person, I love uh, seeing maps and I can just spend hours and hours just like, looking at the little minutia of detail. And uh, oh, thank you. With a, it's a cohesive story, but um, so you've got like so many different elements to it. And, but let's, I know we're getting low on time, but I just want to jump into your, uh, your notes just so people can see. I thought it was really uh, nice of you, um, at least from a design perspective, to be able to share your uh, notes. And it's just going to take a second here to get to your sketchbook of how each one of these elements kind of comes to play. And so this is just little doodles, pencil on paper. Yeah, yeah, these are all these are all the scans that I or like the sketches that I would then scan in and and blow up and then and kind of like do more details. Um, and the sketchbook was actually kind of like a last minute addition The like I had um, either misjudged the page count or we had a few extra pages and we were trying to figure out should we leave them blank for for uh, GM notes or should we uh, what else can we add? And at that point, I was rereading the kind of like Hellboy series. Um, and I have the kind of like library editions, like the kind of thick, kind of like fabric backed books. And in the back um, are rough sketches or kind of like notes, very similar to this. Like this is absolutely uh, copying that. Because I loved seeing that in the comic, I was like, oh, I really like seeing how he goes from his like sketches to the final artwork and going, oh, could we do this? And uh, Andrews and Camille was really great about it. Um, so I kind of like cobbled together all of my rough sketches. Uh, some are digital, as you can see kind of up at the top there, but most tend to start off uh, as very small pencil sketches. Uh, and whether it's here or in any of my other work, I tend to start small because if it can communicate at like a thumbnail size, and this is my like design background, if your logo can communicate that down at an inch, then it, it's likely working. Um, so if my thumbnails can work, at least for telling the basic story, then when I blow it up and do more detail, then I can get into, uh, then I know it's, it's hopefully a good foundation. But then I also go into kind of like, these are some of the early concepts for the title treatment um, as we kind of like worked through figuring out what was the best kind of like mark to sell Neverland. 
Um, and I think I talked about this in that kind of like little write up there, but the vines that are around the top of the, the Neverland text mark or word mark became the framing device for the rest of the book. So um, as much as some stuff had to get changed, it all still kind of like gets used. Um, I try to, I try to use as much as possible. Uh, so that way it can, I like still feel cohesive. Uh, yeah. And this is where you can see some of my kind of concepts for the uh, cover for the cover design. Yeah. And this is, this is absolutely the layout that I was talking about where I basically laid out all the factions without really kind of focusing too much on the map, but having the relationships. So why, what, how does Pan feel about the fairies? How does the, how do the Lost Boys feel about the, the monsters or the pirates and so on? Um, so that way I could really kind of build the, the island and going, oh, if the pirates often go here, then they're likely going to be showing up in that table. And this, you referred to this earlier, but your original sketch, and I think in your uh, design notes, you mentioned that this has a little bit of the magic and you might have even lost a little bit when it got a little bit more polished, but. Yeah, I always find my sketches have just kind of like an energy that, and maybe it's going from traditional to digital, um, but uh, yeah, there's something about going from sketch to final that always seems to just feel, feel different. Um, so that's why I also wanted to include these sketches too, to see kind of like the progress of, oh, I can see where this changes. Um, and in my next book, I've, because I uh, did this in Neverland, um, Andrews McMill were great uh, about Oz letting me do it again, or kind of like being on board with me doing it again. So I um, luckily kept more of my rough work for the, the sketchbook and I go into more process in the, in the back of the next book. So um, not to like be too much of a, like a tease for Oz, but I think if you're looking for insight into kind of like more design, I want to keep that going. Cause I think it's important to share that. So, yeah. And so, uh, as you mentioned, Oz is upcoming and uh, you're, I noticed on uh, Reddit that you've started to post uh, some of the play testing that you've been doing for different yep. things. So, uh, if people are interested in checking that out, the Adventures in Oz campaign diary is on Reddit and Kolb is neat um, is the username. But just tell us a little bit about like what's what what's the next steps, timelines and and what what's it going to look like? Yeah, so Oz is almost done. Like we're essentially kind of going into kind of like production now, um, which will be a number of months. Um, so I think, I think it's going to be about the, it's going to be in the fall. Um, so I think maybe close to the same time of year as when Neverland came out. Um, so yeah, sometime in the kind of like, you know, like end of, or end of the summer, start of school year, uh, um, I guess for North America, uh, but, uh, and then it'll be out. Um, it, it's, uh, it, the timeline was pretty similar to Neverland in that, like, it took me probably about just shy of a year of like writing and then obviously us pitching and making sure that it was the right fit for kind of like another RPG book. Um, and then probably another like six months or so of, of polishing and then uh, another six months of kind of uh, production. So the, the, the publishing industry, like traditional publishing is uh, a, like a big uh, strong machine, but it's also pretty slow moving. Like it's, it's, it's not as immediate as putting something on uh, drive-through RPG and doing like print on demand. Um, but uh, that's, that's just kind of like the nature of it. So uh, yeah, Oz will be out in a while. Um, 
it's pretty different from Neverland. Like it's still very much the same spirit of like random tables and more of a setting than a single plot. Um, but where Neverland is a very wild, untamed space um, or undeveloped space, uh, Oz is a more like urban, not rural, an urban, like, like almost like a like a mega city. Like a uh, so that's yeah. So. Uh, I think that was also coming from me as a, as a DM who's run so many adventures talking about jungles constantly uh, and swamps and beaches. Uh, it's really fun to now uh, set up uh, adventures that involve like robbing a mansion or kind of like exploring sewers and things like that. So um, I, while I don't know if you'd necessarily be blending the two books together, I think there's still very a lot that you can kind of take from one and apply to the other. So that's, that's Oz, uh, yeah. Lots of winged monkeys and tin men and, and all the stuff you expect, but hopefully still lots of surprises too. Those winged monkeys always terrified me <laughs> as a kid wow. when they were ripping apart the thing. Is it going to be yeah. uh, got that element of like a little bit scary for kids, just like uh, Neverland has that piece if you need it? Yeah, I think, I think and I, I talk about it in the back of the book or kind of like talk about as far as tone if you need to, uh, or if you're ever unsure about whether or not Oz can be a, 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 a mature setting, then watch the sequel. Like, I think if you watch The Wizard of Oz and then The Return to Oz, uh, the two are so different, but still somehow the same characters. Um, so I think, and hopefully Neverland is the same, that if you want it to be a light, silly adventure, you can do it. And, and same with Oz. If you want the monkeys to be sillier than you can if you want them to be threatening like uh like feral creatures then you can um as much as i've kind of given direction i'm assuming a gm will take the book and make it their own so uh yes it can be it can be mature it can also still be a fun family-friendly setting too so just depends on what you want to make it and because a lot of our audience is going to be like aspiring game designers are there any kind of tips uh, or advice that through this process and your ongoing process that you could pass along to them as far as lessons learned or advice? I think my big thing or my kind of big driving force is really paying attention to what I need when I'm at the table and how I think. Like, what is it that I, when I'm reading other adventures, really kind of going, what is it that I like about it? And what is it that I would change? And thinking about why. Uh, so not just going, oh, I would put this at the start of the book going the reason why i put it at the start of the book is because i'm confused reading this now like and i think that helps build uh kind of an understanding of what it is that you would then put into your own design um so that way when you're teasing apart other people's work and not to be critical but it's really just to kind of like understand the mechanics of it then you can go and say okay this is how i want to make this book and why um because i think especially making bigger projects can be daunting. Um, so having a framework to go, and like my books are all broken up into chapters, which helps me keep it organized, but uh, having a framework to go, these are the things I know I need in a book because these are the things I need in adventures when I'm running an adventure. Um, that's kind of helped me figure out, you know, what to include, how to lay out the book, what the kind of like driving force of it is. Um, so I would say that, and I would also say if you're hitting a rut or if you're stuck on something, take a break uh, and then come back to it. But I would also say, think about what it is that you're stuck on. And I talk a bit about this in the kind of like notes of Oz too, um, is sometimes I'll work on an illustration and it's just not coming together. And I'll try to figure out why, like maybe if I do this a bit differently, 
Um, but sometimes it's just taking a step back and going, oh, the reason it's not working is because I'm really trying to make the illustration about this. But if I abandon that idea, or if I take a break from that idea and just start to explore, maybe it's not about, maybe I'm not gonna draw a fountain. Maybe I'm gonna draw a skyscraper. And it's as simple as just shifting it to something else then opens up the possibilities to go, oh yes, okay, I can do this. And then put a tiny fountain in it and I'm still getting the part that I wanted, but in a different way. Um, and I think that only comes from kind of like being reflective enough or being reflective on like what you're running up against. Uh, like when I run into, when I get into trouble or when I'm stuck on something, it's really kind of asking why. I think that's it. That's the takeaway is ask, why am I frustrated about this block of text or this drawing or this layout? Uh, and hopefully you can answer that question and then kind of work towards that to improve it. Well, that's great. And so uh, besides odds, where or Oz, where can uh, people find you and uh, and keep track of all your uh, projects? Oh, I'm uh, so my website is cold is neat. Uh, and that points to most of my social media, but I'm also my handle cold is neat is where you can find me on like Twitter, uh, Instagram, those are probably the two big ones. Um, but that's, that's, that's where you can find me. Uh, and always happy to chat D and D or game design. So if anybody has any questions or just like wants to talk about games, I'm, I'm around, I'm available. And if that wasn't enough, you also have enough side projects <laughs> on your, you have a podcast with some, uh, uh, mates of yours. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm more of a guest speaker or like a guest appearance than a dedicated, uh, uh, podcaster, but I do appear occasionally on the, uh, M of one podcast. Um, and we were talking comics for a while. Now we run, uh, I run D and D with them. Um, and occasionally we will kind of like do streams or I will be like a feature. I, yeah, I'm, I'm more of like a guest appearance than the a regular host, but uh, I would definitely recommend their podcast too. And, and if you find or listen to any of the episodes that I'm on, uh, let me know what you think. Well, that's great. Uh, well, I really appreciate your time and uh, sharing your uh, wisdom and knowledge and your experience on designing a game. And uh, for my money, it's it's one of the, the best games I've seen. Um, it's so comprehensive in its design and philosophy and look i just i just think it's beautiful so well done amazing product and i can't wait to see oz oh thank you very kind i appreciate it thank you very much <laughs>